Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Si el ritmo te lleva a mover la cabeza y empezamos como es. Mi música no discrimina a nadie, así que vamos a romper toda mi Boom, and we are live. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. Welcome to the Coach HP Show, the most positive relationship-building show on the internet. Thank you guys so much for enjoying. Thank you for subscribing. Thank you for vibing. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for everything. November 4th. Crazy, crazy day yesterday. Today's the fifth. The third was the craziest one of them all. Still don't know. Nobody knows anything. Only thing you know is that the two things you can control, whether your client, your client, whether your president wins or not, the two things you can control is your effort and your attitude. A lot of people are going to need to control their effort and their attitude with what's going on in the country. So bear with positivity. Positivity will always find its way through. Just hang tight. Nobody panic. Nobody panic here. Hang tight. Let's check out this episode of the Coach HP Show. You know I love Barstool. You know I love the Barstool people. In this episode, with my man, Mr. White Sox Dave, White Sox Dave, on this episode, we discuss everything, sports, life, music, internet, the show, career, growing up, all the stuff, perfect opportunity to listen To a guy that's worked, man, that's worked hard to get to where he's at. See where he takes that to the next level. See if he keeps going. So without further delay, in today's episode of the Coach HP Show, we have none other than White Sox Dave. Let's go. Boom, three, two, one. My man, White Sox, Dave, we're on. Dude, I had, when I had Yomar on, I had him on two days ago, I asked him what his favorite White Sox uniform was. He told me, Ironically, I think it's the one you're wearing now, the Sunday one that they wear with the colors, red and stuff like that. Which is yours? Yeah, it's the 83s. Um, they they wore that, I want to say three. No, it was actually, 
It was actually more like five years ago. They started wearing it as like a promotional thing on Sundays. And the players and the fans loved it so much. It's not even a Sunday uniform anymore. It, they just wear it whenever they feel like wearing it. I think the starting pitcher, whoever it is on that day, gets to choose. So now they wear it all the time when it was only supposed to be like a handful of things back in. I think it was Chris Sale's last year in the White Sox. Um, they they were supposed to wear them for like a handful of Sundays. And now they just wear them all the time. All the time. They're, they're- Dude, I, I love the retro, man. I think the Brewers look super sweet retro. I think I think they're gonna overkill the powder blue, man. A lot of teams now came with the powder blue, huh? The White Sox even had a powder blue throwback uh, a couple years ago that they wore. I'll send it to you. I'll text it to you. Um, I didn't really like it, but a lot of, like they, it was like softball pants. Like I for baseball, you either got to go gray pinstripe or white pants. I think, but their whole uniform was like powder blue. So it was like blue blue jersey, blue pants, blue hat. And I didn't really like it too much, but uh, I mean, that kind of stuff plays, I guess, today with the younger audience and crowd. Um, and if it gets people talking about it, I don't really give a shit, you know? Yeah, of course, bro. White Sox, Dave, the name White Sox. Was that you? Somebody baptized you with that? How did that come about? I got baptized by it. Um, so I've been writing for Barcel Sports for eight years now, since 2012, July of 2012. And uh, Dave Portnoy is obviously the founder of the company. He's the big boss man. And when he hired me, he asked me what my nickname was. And I don't have a nickname. Everybody just calls me Dave. So his whole thing was he didn't want any, like if I was writing about the White Sox or whatever I'm writing about, he didn't want people to assume that was him writing about it because our names are both Dave. So he's like, you're going to be White Sox, Dave. And I'm like, that's the cheesiest thing I've ever heard, but sure, let's let's do it. And then it kind of just snowballed into what it's become now. And uh, is I don't really like it because it's so cheesy, but it's kind of been a big part of my life for the last eight years. So I roll with it. And uh, that's kind of how the name is born. How old are you now? I'm, I turned 32 tomorrow, actually. No way, bro. 32, man. How was it turning 30, bro? Sucked. You didn't uh, like it? No, like this is, and it's going to get like this again in a couple of years, but I didn't like being closer to 40 than I was to 20. And that thought kind of freaked me out. So, and now that I'm, I'm turning 35 in three years in a day, I don't want to be closer to 40 than I am to 30. And that like whole thing, cause I like to be like, and, and this is, this is also really cheesy. John Mayer has this really good song lyric. He goes, I don't want to get older because I'm only good at being young. I'm only good at being young. I want to, you know, I want to be that 25 year old young spry kid with not a care in the world. But as, as time goes on, you get older, you can't really do that as much, you know? So that's why it kind of freaks me out. I don't like it. I don't you, know like- what I, you know what I realized about that, man? Cause I always, listen, the goal is realistically speaking to accumulate birthdays. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. All right. I, yeah. If we had it in a perfect world, we'd stay still, but we have to accumulate. So I'm 41. So I'm 10 years older than you. Okay. And what I've noticed is at 41, even married, I got married late. I got married at 37, which is a great thing that I recommend to everybody. I just had my second kid a month ago. So I have two kids, two year old and and a boy now that's a month and a half. Bro, I feel like if I'm physically, mentally, like if I'm 25, experience-wise, 
I feel like I'm 41, bro. You have no idea how good it is as a man, especially if you've lived, which you have. Doing your line of work and what you do, you've lived. Different than anybody you know, which also isolates us. Because we're talking and you might be like, dude, I have to go to a meeting for ad sales or whatever it is. Not a lot of people know what that is, especially in Chicago, especially in the content world. So mm -hmm. it starts to alienate you. I don't know if you've noticed that from everybody else because it's hard to have friends because you're in this whole different world. And the majority of 32-year-olds, you know, bro, they work nine to five. They got kids, school, stuff like that. So there really isn't, unless you're in a barstool world, which is that support stuff that you're doing. But, bro, 32 is super young. When you reach 42, you're still going to notice how young it is. But you're going to mature in little things. You're going to be like, you know what? I was a fucking dickhead with that. But now I'm cool with this, bro. So wait till you see your 40s, man. I think you're going to like it a lot, bro. I, I need to hear that. And and what you said, um, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I, I'll start with this. I, I, I've gotten so much. In this job, it forces you to mature. Because you are under the public spotlight a lot, um, you know. I I would say that, like I said earlier, I, I'm only good at being young. That not, doesn't mean like I choose to go out of my way to act like a 22 or 25 year old. Um, it's that all the all the all the fun stuff of that age is what I'm starting to miss a little bit. But as far as like you know my where my brain's at right now. It's it's night and day. Like if I always say this, if I could punch anybody in the face, it would be the 22 year old me because I was. <laughs> you know? But um, but yeah, and and it's it's going fast, but it's not going like so fast. I'm like losing sight of anything I want to accomplish in the next you know one five or ten years. But but I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the ride. And I, this is like getting to be a deep conversation all of a sudden. And I like it. This is what it's about, bro. Because yeah. what, listen, what I do is whoever I talk to, I just, I want to figure out, man, what, what makes White Sox, Dave, what you have the show. How does that feel for you? How does it, because people don't understand only when you're in the content game, how hard it is to do this. Now, once the light comes on and you hit your thing, it's perfect. But how hard it is. So talk to me through that process, man. You've been doing this for eight years. At the beginning, did you have the show already? Were you just blogging? Talk to me about that. Yeah, I, I started. So it goes back to when I was in college. Um, and this is how I got hired with Barstool. A friend of mine, uh, we had a blog. He went to Indiana University. I played baseball at a small school in Chicagoland. What's and, the name of the school? Uh, North Central College. What position did you play? Catcher and I pitched a little bit, but I stunk at pitching. I they would ask me to come in and try to blow the ball by guys, and it didn't often work. I would just walk the world. Dave, were you a, were you a catcher? You strike me as a catcher that would wear the high socks. Would you wear the I high did, socks? I did wear the high socks. <laughs> high socks guy. I thought it made me look faster for whatever reason. I also wore white cleats. I don't know why, um, but I was kind of I was I was good at baseball because I could. I was smarter than everybody on the field. Like I'm an idiot in real life, but have you ever seen the the program, the movie? Yes. The movie. I was yes. like with Alvin Mack, who can't he, he can't read, but you put him in like a film room. He knows exactly what the defense is doing. He's just like a genius all of a sudden. Like I wouldn't say I'm. I can't. I'm. I can obviously read, 
I would say I have pretty normal intelligence, but when he got me on a baseball field, I knew what, what a hitter's approach was. Uh, I could pick out a flaw in his swing and exploit that as a catcher with the pitch I called in the location I called, and I could throw. I was a very, very, very average hitter, but my my brains kind of put me like it. I got the most out of my ability because of my my brain as a baseball player. And um, who showed you that? Was it your dad? How'd you get that smart? I think honestly, I I couldn't even really answer that. My dad only played in high school. Uh, he never played at like any high level or anything. I think it, a lot of it just is like a lot of people watch a football game or a baseball game or, or any, any sort of sporting event. And they're just watching it. Like I'm watching for the most, you know, minuscule details of a baseball game. Like why is that guy getting a three-step lead instead of a four-step lead? Why is it like, look at this hitter stance. He's closed off and he's casting his arms a little bit, attack him with fastballs in and he'll either get jammed or if he does get a barrel, he's hitting it 380 feet foul. He can't keep that fair. It's like stuff like that that I always try to pick up on. Let me ask you a question. You being a catcher, do you agree with the catchers now framing with any down? Do you like that new strategy or no? Everything down? Work, you mean working up? No, that they that they put a knee down. They drop a knee to help with their oh, framing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I did here and there. I, it, I'd say the biggest thing for catching – for me was I would try my hardest from before the game started to develop a rapport with the umpire. So I took a, I went to an umpire school when I was a junior in college, not because I wanted to be an umpire or anything. I just wanted to learn what made an umpire's brain tick. And if I could put my mind in the brain of an umpire from behind the plate, I could, I could use that even if it helped 1% or half of 1% or whatever small amount. Like I knew that that would help because I knew what that umpire was thinking and umpires hate movement behind the plate. They want to see nice, you know, a nice, comfortable, relaxed target. And if you're all over the place and not comfortable, then you're not going to get as many strikes for the pitcher, even if they are strikes or are in the zone. And if that means that you're comfortable with one knee on the ground, that's fine with me. If you like to be in a nice, you know, high uptight stance, as long as you're comfortable, that's fine with me. Just limit movement as much as possible. If you're if you're a pitcher and you're hitting a target and you're just sitting there sticking it and not moving, that shows that that that, that pitcher, his command is good. And, and the better your command is, the more strikes outside the zone are going to get called, even if they shouldn't be called strikes. So that's like where my mind was as a catcher the whole time. Hey, that's crazy, bro. That's fucking impressive, man, that you would go to do an umpire school. It's almost like criminals to go to cop school just to figure out what the yeah. cops were looking for. Right. <laughs> would you, when you told your boys, you told any of your boys you were doing that or no? Um, Or the coach or anybody? Really? Not really. I just, it was like a one-winner thing. It was twice a week. Smart, uh, man. For, like, for I, I want to say it was eight weeks long, so 16 total classes. And it was the umpire who ran it. Um, he was one of the strike umpires. So there was a strike in, I want to say 2001 or 2002. Okay. Umpires union. And they had a bunch of replacement umpires. He was one of those umpires. Then he started this school that, um, it, it's for division. It's for or NCAA umpires and above. They have to start with, it's a certified school. They have to start with this school to be able to umpire at the NCAA level. And then, you know, advance into professional baseball or uh, independent baseball. So I took it just 
like I said, because I wanted to know what an umpire was thinking because I thought I could use that knowledge to help me as a catcher. That was smart, dude. Really smart, man. So you're in college. You figure out you're not playing baseball. You start this blogging thing. I did. Um, so I, well, I had the blog going in college, but it wasn't even really a baseball blog. It was more just like a lifestyle blog. Like I would write about parties from the weekend. I would write about, you know, my lunch. Like I would, I would rank like best college cafeteria foods. I would just try to write about anything that kind of resonate with a normal, you know, normal 20 ish year old kid. And, um, it got somewhat big, it got big enough where we monetized it and we were making like six, 700 bucks a month at it. So it was me and one other buddy. So we'd split that down the middle. And then on weekends, I'd use that money to go and buy kegs for parties. And since I bought the keg, I sold the cups and I would make like another 80 or 90 bucks on top of the keg by selling the cups. So I just would like spin ball that and some more money and more money. It wasn't a lot of money at all, um, but it kept me going in college. You know, you only need a few bucks in your po in your pocket to have fun in college. So that's what I did. And then Barstool picked me up and the rest is kind of history. But in the meantime of doing all that, I started my own travel baseball program where uh, it was myself and a White Sox scout. At the time, he was a White Sox scout. He's not anymore. He's with the Cubs now. But um, he, we would, I would go around recruiting kids and there was actually a couple of scouting opportunities I had with a couple of pro ball organizations. Um, that I had to unfortunately turn down because the money just wasn't there. I had a, a private school student loan mountain of debt. So I couldn't, yeah, no, that was like my, that, that was my, what I wanted to do from day one in baseball was because I knew I was never going to play it professionally. So why not try to find people who can play professionally? Let me ask you a question, Dave. Now that you're doing what you're doing, do you miss that, bro? Do you like, man, I wish I was still involved with baseball? Yeah, of course. Um, and this is my way of being involved. I've developed, you know, a good relationship with the White Sox where I've interviewed most of the roster, most of the front office, a ton of awesome people throughout sports. So I, I will never in a million years uh, say. No, but like coaching, do you miss coaching? Well, yeah, I absolutely do. And my favorite thing to do is I'll go out to Arizona for spring training. And I'll just go sit behind uh, home plate because you can sit anywhere at spring training. Those games, you know, they don't sell out or anything. And I'll just pick out the guy with the radar gun and the and the notepad and the score sheet. And I'll just start lobbing up like scout scouts, like words and talk. And I'll just be like, oh, that pitcher, he's really loose. He's, he's got a nice downhill plane on his fastball. And I'll make their ears perk up. They're like, who's this asshole? Like, he, he knows what he's talking about a little bit. Right. And then I'll just, you know get into conversations with these guys kind of just to massage my own ego. Cause I know what they're looking for and I know what they're looking at. But um, yeah, that, that was like my, my dream eventually once I was done playing was to get into like recruiting and finding talent. It didn't work out, but that's fine. <laughs> You're the show. Cause I think with Barstool now, what do you have? You have the podcast and you have the blog too. Is that what you do? Yeah, so we have uh, Redline Radio, which is it's just a Chicago sports podcast. Yesterday we interviewed Kyle Long, who played for the Bears for seven or eight years, um, offensive lineman. Then we have our, our serious radio show, which I unfortunately cannot be a part of right now because of the COVID diagnosis I had. Then um, that's every day, 2 to 3 p.m. Central. And then we have two other podcasts. 
that we run in Chicago. And then of course, writing all day. So when you're writing, okay. The writing is the blogging. Yep. The writing is the blog. Yeah. Damn man. The guests for the show. People ask me all the time. How do I get my guests? I just, people that I know and people reach out. How do you hustle. get your guests? Uh, hustle. Yeah. We, um, yeah, we just develop relationships with as many people as we can. And, and at this point, a lot of like similar to you, um, people ask us like, Hey, like we got, we got this guy. He wants to promote his charity say, um, for instance, um, peanut Tillman had a, do you, do you know peanut Tillman old bears? Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he came on last year and he took a self-made canoe from Chicago to the opposite side of Lake Michigan in Michigan. It was like wow. a 200 mile trip that he did in a canoe to raise money for his charity. And he wanted to promote that. So he reached out to us and was like, Hey, can I hop on your podcast? And we're like, absolutely. You're peanut Tillman. You're like a Chicago legend. Anytime you want to come on, come on, you know? So nice. a lot of it's um, people reaching us out to us now. And then we'll reach out to players. And at this point, you know, everybody knows Barstool. So it's, it's pretty easy. That's pretty easy. In, in terms of happiness, Dave, how happy are you, bro? Do I, you notice how lucky you are with what you're doing in the wear and tear of it? Do you forget because it's from one thing to the next? How do you feel? Absolutely. I mean, it is work and it's a lot of work. It's a 24-hour-a-day job. And there are mornings you wake up and you're just like, shit, I don't want to fucking record a podcast or I don't want to write today. And then you got to remind yourself like, hey, you, I could be sitting in a cube right now selling insurance. And right. there are millions of people out there that would die to have my job. So you got to ground yourself a little bit for sure. When, when you look at the job and how you've become, what's the difference between you now and when you started? What, what little things have changed that have made you better, man? With our platform, like I, we, I started eight years ago, like I said, and Barcel was still in his infancy a little bit. And um, I, I was doing it for 500 bucks a month with, um, which is, you know, cool with me as a 22, 23 year old to cover a team I love in a sport I love. But um, I would say I have gotten exponentially smarter as a baseball fan. Um, not necessarily in terms of how to find, like I said earlier, like how to look for a good baseball player. Now I understand money baseball a lot better. I understand the rules a lot better. I understand what makes an organization tick a lot better. Um, it, it sent like as the platform of Barcelona sports got bigger and bigger, like I realized I have to be as smart as I possibly can because I'm representing one, a large market fan base and two, the company I, I work for, like you want to, you want people to come to Barstool sports. Cause Hey, that guy's got awesome baseball instinct and knowledge. And so now I'm reading fan graphs and all these baseball books nonstop, just trying to keep getting smarter and smarter and involving with the game. Cause the game's changed nonstop. Bro. It's crazy, man. It's, it's so funny. I was, I was speaking two years ago, Dave, Oregon state reaches out to me that just won the national champ in, in baseball. Awesome. And I had no idea that in Corvallis, Oregon State Beavers were crushing it. You know, I'm here in Miami, and I was like, wow, I won like three titles in, in the, that span. And I'm speaking to the team. You know, I'm Cuban, and I'm speaking to a bunch of white boys, and I have no idea who anybody is. I didn't do any research on anybody. I just know they won the World Series by an error. Do you remember that World Series that, against Arkansas State? 
I so do. they won they won that World Series. The manager reaches out to me, so I'm like, fuck it, I'm gonna, I'll go, I'll go over there. And I'd always wanted to speak, so that was one of my most viral moments. I go out there, I'm documenting the whole thing, I'm recording it, and I'm speaking. And as I'm speaking about my life and failure and de- being positive and all this thing, Dave, there's this kid looking at me, and he raised his hand. He was he was stuck on me the whole time. I could feel it when I was talking. He raised his hand. He goes, Coach, your mindset, how did you develop that? How did you get so positive? How do you deal with negativity? Dude, he asked me two questions. We take a team picture. Kid's right next to me. We're done. Shoots me this awesome DM. I was like, man, that's really cool. The manager calls me up. He's like, bro, you crushed this man. No one's ever had this impact before. By the way, you know who that kid was that was asking us questions? I go, oh, no, man, I have no idea. He goes, that's Ali Rushman, the projected number one overall pick in the 2019 draft. And it's so funny when I tell people, and you said the sport has changed, Ali's like a 6'4", switch-hitting catcher, captain of Team USA, an absolute beast. And what the guy was worried about was his mindset and dealing with failure. For you, Dave, us baseball players is so hard, man, to deal with failure because that failing seven out of three times is tough, man, especially when you can't. It's not like football where you drop a pass and the quarterback can throw you another one. You literally have to sit there and wait mm-hmm. eight times. I can't go, Dave, you know what? Trade me. I'll, I'll move up in the order. You have to sit there eight times, man. How important is mental toughness in what you do, bro? It's it's a, it's for for me personally, it's you have to develop the thickest skin possible. Because what makes Barcelona sports great is our relationship with our audience. And and for a massive media company that we've become, it's still very intimate and our, our fan base is like they talk to you like like for instance, I don't know why he just popped my mind. Kenny Main for Sports Center. Everybody loves Kenny Main, but you're not yucking it up with Kenny Main on in Twitter. Like you're not you're not sitting there having conversations with him at a bar. He he's Kenny Main. Like me, I'm just a normal guy, and and people speak to me like I'm a normal guy. You know, I was working a cube job a couple couple years ago until they hired me full time, and that allows people to criticize you as if you're their buddy or as if you're any other asshole on Twitter. And I do like at this point, I'm pretty much impervious to, um, to getting made fun of. Like you could say whatever you want about me and it'll just bounce right off me. Um, but there are the times when you do fail or you are incorrect or you did make a bad prediction or you did say something stupid on the internet where you just kind of got to flush it and keep on going. And I think that is the same case with baseball. Like you said, like you fail seven out of 10 times, you're one of the best hitters in baseball. And that's what it is for us. Like if, if you're failing here and there, like it's more amplified because of who we, who we work for. Uh, and I'm, I'm talking about like myself and my coworkers and everything. It's amplified because of who you work for. And you just got to remind yourself that, Hey, no one's perfect. No one, no one bats a thousand. And just keep your head down, get better next time, and, like, all will be forgiven, you know? That makes a lot of sense, bro. Let's talk a little White Sox here. There was a scout here in Miami that got real popular drafting a guy whose name's Pepe. He would, uh, Pepe Ortega, he drafted a lot of people. The first guy that he drafted down here that made it to 
the big leagues was Alex Fernandez. Remember Alex Fernandez, the pitcher? I mean, he he was when I was very young, but of course I remember. Yeah, that that yeah. was the memories as a White Sox fan because he was early '90s. I was born in '88, so I, I remember him, but very faint memories. Very faint memories, huh? Hey, he did he did good with them, and then and then the team has has grown. For sure, you had the manager. We had him after, which he really got crazy. How awesome was it having Ozzy as a as a manager there, bro? I love that man so much, and I've gotten to know him over the last year or so. I'm uh, pretty tight with his uh, his son Ozzy Junior. Now, I just I actually got it a little bit. Um, Ozzy Ozzy's the best. Ozzy's the best, and I think that he does deserve an, a, a second or third shot at managing. Um, a big league club, and I'll ask you this: like, you you're aware of why he's not managing now, I'm sure, right? Right. What's your take as a Cuban with his comments on Castro and everything, dude? It, it it's it's like the Black Lives Matter thing, exactly the same thing. And I'm gonna tell you why I say that. When I was in Vegas, okay, when I oh, not even the Black Lives Matter. It's like it's like the political thing now, mm-hmm. the political thing now. When I was in Vegas, I became in a four-year span, I became the most, probably the most popular nightclub host in Las Vegas that wasn't an owner of Tau Group or of The Win or of Hakkasan, right? So I'd be sitting there with a guy spending $50,000 on a table, and out of nowhere, this guy comes and tells me that Castro's the greatest guy in the world, and oh my God, Cuba, and the antique cars, and what a great time that is, right? And part of me, you want to take that personal? But another part is maybe, maybe this guy doesn't know. Maybe this, this guy doesn't know the horror stories of Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. You know, Maybe this guy's looking at it that way. Maybe this guy's looking at it this way. In a time now, Dave, where everybody's fucking out of control with everything. Everything. Everything, bro. So what I like to do is when – here's a perfect example. When the players – when the baseball players during the Black Lives Matter thing, when they decided to protest and not play, right? And it's interesting because I think, and I want to get your opinion on this as a, as a white dude, I'm very lucky because being Cuban is like I could play that minority card if I want, even though I'm raised here in Miami, the majority of us are Cubans, and at least in Miami, we haven't witnessed any kind of racism except reverse racism that if you don't know Spanish in Miami, you're fucked, you know? <laughs> But I, I think of the three sports, major sports, or four, Baseball is still the most racist one by far. I, I do because it's not run by black players. The minorities that play it don't speak the language very well, so they don't have a presence. And still, college baseball is very American-driven. So there's a lot of, of that in the sport. There, there just is. And a buddy of mine has an account, a baseball account, That when he posted the Tuesday thing of, of the the George Floyd thing that they did the Tuesday thing that he put the black square the quarter or the picture of the police officer, this guy who has probably close to a hundred thousand followers, usually kids, got so many people telling him, oh, unfollow. If I were to go to this account for political things, this is not. I come here for baseball and keep me baseball. That's those are racist things, man. So. When I see that, I'm like, wow. And when they ask me about the baseball thing, they're like, no, because kids are watching and because kids are watching. I go, the most fucked up thing we have going for us now 
is that we don't teach kids anything. Like we hide everything from kids, from cursing, from alcohol, from drugs, everything. Like nothing exists. So when kids hit an age that they enter that, for some of us was high school, some of us middle school, depends what's going on. They have no fucking clue of how to do anything. So they just go zero to 100 and fuck themselves up. So in terms of the Ozzy Guillen thing, Venezuela got fucked big time because of Castro. Mm -hmm. Chavez tried to imitate Castro while having a natural resource that was real strong because Venezuela is very wealthy because of oil. Yep. Cuba didn't have that. Cuba's maximum import was fucking sugarcane, which yep. you could get in any island, you know? So do you hate that comment? You don't like it. Do you, on top of that, not like it when you're in a Cuban community thing? That's 100%. Empathy, man. We got to find a way to look at both sides and to, instead of be quick to pop off on somebody, just ask the questions. Like, I like the athletes. I like that the athletes, I like that the basketball players, I like that the baseball players did it. Listen, we're going to do it peacefully. We're going to show the country when we're not agreeing on something. Let's do it peacefully. I'm huge on that, man. I don't know about you, but I'm big on that. Yeah, and so this is – no, I'll start with the Ozzy Guillen thing. Like, and, and we spoke for about four straight hours, Ozzy Guillen and I, um, in February, right before all the shutdowns started. He came to our office and we spoke. And if, if you know – I mean, have you spoke with Ozzy before? I've never spoken to him. He doesn't speak the best English. Yeah, it's all, it's all jacked up, very heavy accent. Too. Yeah, it's, it's gotten way better. Like, I, you can, I, when he was managing, I couldn't understand it, um, which is whatever. Not saying it's good or bad. It's just it's what it is. He doesn't speak very good English. And he said that his comments got sort of lost in translation. And I'm trying to toe a line of, I don't want to be insensitive right now, but he said that, like, he, he respects Fidel Castro because if you don't respect Fidel Castro, he'll fucking kill you. So like he's like you keep him keep him at arm's length. You respect him. You just keep your head down, or he'll fucking kill you. Like he was a murderous dictator, and and I understand what he means by that. But at the same time, Isaac Gian, just shut your mouth. Just shut your mouth. That's yeah, hard, dude. It's like also you know who Che Guevara is. I'm sorry. You know who Che Guevara is, Ernesto Che Guevara. I don't believe so. Bro, you you you've have to see it's a real famous picture of a dude with a beard, long hair, and it says Che C H E Revolutionary. Mm -hmm. Do you know who I'm talking about? I, I'm sure I do. Yeah, I'm sure I know the picture. Yeah, he gets quoted here. Hold on, I'm gonna pull it up while I have you here, bro. This dude, because he's an anti-system guy, Hollywood loves him, everybody loves him. He became. Here, I'll show you a picture right now. It's gonna pop up. He became Castro's. Right-hand man. You see that? Yeah, I, I know who he is, yes. Yeah, you've seen this. I've this seen dude him. is an Argentinian doctor, very smart, revolutionary guy. Has nothing to do after he, he was, he's Latin America, Latin America, did the motorcycle diaries, whole thing, connects with Castro, goes to Cuba and becomes Castro's right-hand man and helps Castro take over Batista. As a hustler myself, I... I'm smart enough to understand the incredible determination that Castro had. Exactly. That this guy had. And that's now that's one thing of it, right? right. 
That's and you can't hate on that. Like that's fucking determination to at 33, I think Fidel became the guy who ran Cuba, which is crazy. 60 years or whatever, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You appreciate the good stuff. But I think that a lot of times in you being in media now, maybe this happens a lot, especially at Barstool, which like you said, somebody gets pissed at your Barstool, bro, and they're not sugarcoating shit. No. They're like, Dave, you fucking piece of shit. I knew it. And then you're like always on the attack on the defensive. What I like to do is, bro, the reverse. I like to fucking romance everybody before I say something that's even close. Yep. You know, so that there is no, because I'm all about intention over anything. That if I make a mistake and I say something wrong, I'll be like, man, I'm sorry. I, di I didn't know. That's why I love having black guests on and talking about stuff because I don't hang around with a lot of black people. I just don't. But I love everybody that I can pick their brain and see what they're going through, see how I can learn, how I can be empathetic and stuff like that. And I think what happened to Ozzy was there was a lot of pressure on that team because of the trades, because Trade. of the stadium. Yeah. Yep. And him being already a ballsy guy and you know what, fuck you, fuck this guy. And the owner was the worst owner, bro. Jeffrey Lurie was the oh, worst, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. So I think that's how all that shit got got started, bro. The like, and I and I I understand why people kind of blackballed Ozzy for those comments. But like you said, I try to I and it's it's because of Barcelona, because of the position I'm in, kind of being a public figure these days. Like I try to look at everything from thirty thousand feet, and I try to see all aisles, all all opinions. I mean, I'll formulate my opinion, and it's not often, especially when it comes to politics or social uh, social change. Like, I don't often share my opinion because no matter what, half the people that follow you are going to agree with you and half the people that follow you are going to disagree with you. And then it just turns into a big arguing match on social media. And I don't think that is um, a good vehicle to drive change in any single way. I like no, and also, Dave, one question. If you were known as right side Dave or left side Dave, then it'd be part of your thing. You know what I, I take pride in is I get called Make America Great Again Dave all the time, and I get called Libtard Dave all the time. It's like you can't be both. Right, right. So right. what I do is I like to take – I like to break down everything into just a very specific – uh, like whatever the subject is. And I'll do my homework on it. I'll have conversations regarding any specific subject. And then I'll formulate my own opinion that I think uh, best suits whoever, myself or the general you know, public or, um, or whoever. But I, like, I would never identify as right or left. I like to break down things into like very specific things. And I think that that's lost on people these days. I, I love nothing more than to learn. And if that means I'm talking to someone who's, you know, a Black Lives Matter activist, I love to learn their perspective. Same thing, uh, a Donald Trump supporter, I love to learn their perspective. And it's just because I like to absorb as much information as possible before making my own opinion on any given subject matter. That makes sense, man. That makes, that makes total sense. How often do you go to New York? Uh, I'm out there. Well, I mean, it used to be very frequently, at least, you know, once or once a month or so. But now I've been out there once since the pandemic started. 
Um, we were supposed to be in Philadelphia on Monday, but obviously that got canceled for me because I've been in quarantine for the last week. But um, but yeah, it's once this pandemic's over, I'll be out there regularly. Do you bet on sports? I do. I in Vegas, I had the highest theoretical player at Vegas at the time. You know what theoretical play is? Uh, not really. So in table games, they rate you on two things. How much money you, you play a hand and how longer you sit at the table. Mm -hmm. The longer you play, the longer you bet, the higher of a player you are, the more comps you get. So my guy, Peruvian dude who owned casinos in Latin America, this dude was, you know, roulette, the one with the little ball yeah. that picks the number. My man's playing at 330,000 a spin. That's a lot of money. That's crazy. Like spin. <laughs> dude, and I <laughs> and I learned the power of playing and then the power of sports betting that it rips. And tell me if you agree or not. It rips your innocence of looking at sports because all of a sudden, miraculously, when the line's supposed to hit the way you wanted, the weirdest things happen in sports, bro. How crazy is that, man? Talk to me about that. I mean, I gamble. So, and, I, and I don't even mind saying this because I feel like this is the same for the vast majority of people. I gamble to make it interesting in a game that I don't care about. So it's not often at all I'm gambling on the White Sox because I'm already emotionally invested in the game. But if I'm watching like a Tuesday night Indians versus Tigers game or whatever, I'll put $100 on, a, on you know, over or under, whatever it is, and just make it interesting for me. So, but it, like you said, I'm the worst gambler of all time. Um, I don't gamble with money I can't afford to lose, which is very important, I, I would say. But I... I do it just to, you know, have some sort of interest because I don't care who wins an Indians versus Tigers game or, you know, even the World Series. Like, I didn't care who won that World Series either way. Um, did you bet it? I did. I I, I had the raise at the oh. series start. Uh, I'm not very happy with Kevin Cash, but it is what it is. Um, you took the raise because of the plus numbers of what I, you get? I took the raise because I wanted to see – Moneyball win for once, and, and that doesn't mean that the Dodgers don't use you know analytics. They use analytics as good as anybody, but I thought it would have been really cool to see the Rays. They had a twenty-six million dollar payroll this year, with after the you know prorations from uh, the restart in the sixty-game season. Yeah. So I thought that had been really cool uh, because you know it's an unfair game, and there's rich teams and there's poor teams, and the Rays are as poor as it gets. And they have built an incredible foundation. And their organization is just so impressive given their limited financial resources. And I thought it had been really cool for them to beat the big, bad Los Angeles Dodgers in a seven-game series. So I was betting with my heart. Um, I did think, obviously, anybody who watched the two teams play knows that the Dodgers were better. But I wanted to see the, you know, the little engine that could win one for once. Dude, there's a book that I think you'd like, man. I think it's an audio book, too called The 2% Rule, which was a book written by the owners or, or somebody about the owners of how they were projecting and running the, the Rays team when they took over. 
it is sick of how it explained that they don't sign any pitcher over 30. Like Archer, they get rid of Archer. They pick up the ace from this. They get rid of a price. They got rid of Carl Crawford, all these characters, you know? So anybody that's in baseball, you can appreciate that, man. Take me through, Dave, your preparation process. You got a podcast coming up. The podcast you shoot how many days? Uh, right now it's two days a week. Two days a week. Yeah. How do you prepare for it, man? Take me through that. It, it depends on, on the day. So our podcast is very conversational in nature. It's supposed to sound just like – I'm sorry. Hold on. I got to close my window real quick. Take your time, bro. Take your time. They're doing construction outside my apartment. I didn't want to screw up the audio. But um, so our podcast is very conversational in nature where we want it to sound like it's just you and your buddy shooting the shit about whatever team. And um, so I intentionally – like we'll we'll just write down bullet points of what we're going to talk about, but we won't go into like very specific um, detail prior to us recording because then it becomes you know really I don't want to say forced, but it, it just it doesn't it's not kind it loses the conversation bullshit bullshit it becomes bullshit exactly. But if I'm interviewing say Rick Hahn, you know I'll spend hours formulating questions and making sure I ask the right questions prior to going in and, uh, and stuff like that. So, but like Kyle Long, I was saying he was on, on our show. We just dropped it this morning, actually, uh, interviewed him yesterday. Like I, when, when we interview someone like that, I won't go in there with a single note because I just want to just ping pong and shoot the shit with them. Kind of like what I'm doing with you right now, you know? Right. Is that what makes a good interview, man? You that now you've done so many and people have you on their podcast and stuff like that. Is that what makes a good interview? I would say, well, I, I get asked this question actually a decent amount. I would say the number one thing for a podcast specifically is the audio quality. Like I've done a ton of Zoom interviews these days with just random podcasts. And like you, you have your audio equipment and it's going to sound crisp and clean, you know? And um, I would say that's step one. Just invest. You can, you can get a decent setup for a few hundred bucks. Um, I would say that's step one to making an interview sounding at least professional. But as far as what goes into a good interview, like I would say I'm still not a great interviewer. And that's absolutely a skill. Um, some people are better at it than others. I was actually very bad at it at first. Like I, you know, it would, it would seem kind of robotic often. Um, and, but you do get better the more you do them. And I'm, I'm a shit public speaker. I, I'm not good at it. Um, and I'm not talking about necessarily like talking to an auditorium full of students or something like that. I'm saying just kind of going off the cuff. I'm not exactly great at it, but it's something that I have improved on, I think. And with, um, with an interview, like you, one, I make sure I try to be as funny as possible when I'm asking questions, cause it loosens up the person you're interviewing and it, uh, you know, they'll, they'll maybe give you a little more if they feel more comfortable in a, in a comedic environment, I guess. And, uh, two, um, I would say that I am always, always, always trying to extract the most information by asking the least amount of words possible. If like, if, if someone big is coming on our show, 
Uh, we just had the Blackhawks, uh, the hockey team, their GM come on. Like I wasn't in on that interview, but if I were, I would have just, I would have let them kind of be the star of the show. Let me ask you a question that you brought that guy up really quick. Is that the guy, has he been the Blackhawks GM for a real long time? Uh, it's like 10 years now, I want to say. Bro, there was a guy, I think it was him. He came to hide one time in the nightclub. And this fucking guy was drunk. It was him. It was him? I, I would be very, very surprised. You think it was him or it wasn't him? It was not. I mean, he's like an older guy. This was an older guy, bro. But I'm trying to, because he, he didn't want to get up from the table because at the nightclub we had... Our $5,000 tables were on the floor and you got to, we were a lounge that would turn into a nightclub. So we had to turn the tables over. So after a certain time, we have to tell the guests, unfortunately, listen, you got to go because we're turning the club over. And this dude's wife went crazy on me. She's like, do you know who that is? He's the, and he was the GM of the, of the, of the Blackhawks. So I'm wondering if it's, and this is, this is less than, yeah, he had, it's him, it's him, it's him. But he was hammered though. But he was acting like a fucking dick, bro. I was like, dude, we kicked him out. Said, yeah, don't worry, buddy. I go, the Blackhawks don't, don't matter here. And we took him up. Even though Sidney Crosby did come in one time with this, uh, with the owner, a very loaded owner. And he had a good time under the DJ booth. That did happen. So that was cool. The It doesn't shock me. There's We have a story of one of my coworkers. This is after 2013 when the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup. He snuck into the uh, hotel where the team was staying right before the parade, and he ran into the GM in the, in the bathroom. They were taking a piss next to each other, and he looks at – my buddy's taking a piss. He looks up. He's like, hey, you're Stan Bowman. He's like, yeah. He's like, he's like I'm a big fan. Like, I'm a Blackhawks fan. Here for the parade. This is great. Like, thank you for bringing the Stanley Cup to Chicago, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, are you trying to, like, meet the players right now? And my buddy's like, yeah, I, I am actually. That'd be, that'd be incredible. And he's like, and the GM goes, okay, stay right here. So he goes out the bathroom. My buddy's waiting in, like, the hallway where the bathroom uh, entrance is. And he sees him talking to a security guard. And <laughs> he's, like, pointing. And my buddy's thinking the entire time. Like, hey, this guy, like, he's gonna, he's telling the security guard, I'm cool. And then all of a sudden, the security guard comes over and says, like, hey, you gotta get the fuck out of here. So he, like, pulled a complete 180 on him. Yeah, it's that guy. It has to be like, that guy's a motherfucker, bro. That shit sucks, man. Let yeah. me ask you a question, Dave. Yeah. Expectations, bro. How do you manage expectations, man? I, uh, I hold myself to a really high standard any single time I'm talking about baseball. I, I'm, Far from the smartest man in the room when it comes to baseball. Like we, I was on a, I was on a live stream with Josh Donaldson on uh, Tuesday night for Game Six, and it was me, Josh Donaldson, Dallas Braden, and Jared Carabas. And I just didn't, I didn't really speak the entire time Donaldson was talking because I was just trying to absorb as much information as possible to make myself better. Um, and to advance my mindset of, of how baseball's played or how to approach in a bat or whatever, whatever it is he was talking about. I was just listening the entire time because that's an MVP right there, one of the best players of, in baseball the last you know, 10, 12 years or whatever, and I just didn't want to say anything. And I'll use that information to be the best I can be. So I, you know, I, I hold myself to a high standard and not 
you know, no one's perfect. I, I sometimes fail at reaching my own personal goals and expectations, but you got to adapt to die. If, if you don't, you know, if, if you're so hell bent on one uh, specific goal or one specific way to achieve a goal, then that doesn't work all the time. You got to, you got to be, you know, amiable or malleable rather. And uh, you got to be willing to change and, and I'm changing every day. And, and that I think it, it more often than not will lead you to um, managing your expectations better and, and to reaching the goals that you become of those expectations. That's awesome, dude. Dave, what's your favorite type of music? I like, uh, I like classic rock mostly, um, but I, uh, I listen to a ton of like Southern California reggae rocks, uh, like Sublime, which I think might be probably popular in, in, in South Florida. I don't know if it is or isn't. Uh, Sublime, Slightly Stupid, Iration, Pepper. I don't know if you're familiar with those bands. Uh, Sublime is obviously the most popular one. Favorite Sublime song. What's your favorite Sublime song? I mean, I could sing every Sublime song verbatim. Uh, Santa Rita is the popular one, um, but that's kind of a little too cliche. I would probably go, um, I'd go Jailhouse or Mary's Great. Um, Get Out's a great song because his acoustic version of it is just out of this world, I think. But um, I would I would probably go either Mary or or or, or Jailhouse. All right. The time that I dude, I when I was in Los Angeles, I got casted for a commercial with Sears, mm -hmm. and they flew us out to Chicago, and I spent a week in Chicago shooting. And I love man. I think they I think they call it the Viagra Triangle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tavern on Rush. Yep. That's right. the spot, bro. Wow. You go there a lot or no? Yeah, I love Tavern on Rush. It's uh that's a great area. Um I I could walk there. Ah, it'd be like a 25-30 minute walk, but I'm about a mile, probably about a mile and a half north of the Viagra Triangle where I live. So I'm real close. I'm always in that area. I love that area. It's great. There's nothing like Chicago, man. Do you see yourself living the rest of your life there? Um, I hate winter. So ideally. Yeah. I would like to be a snowbird, have a house here. I always say the official, the unofficial start uh Chicago summer, St. Patrick's Day, so mid-March. And then I would tough it out through Thanksgiving or so. But if I if I could do it right, I'd have a house in Scottsdale where I just live there um, you know, through the winter months and then come back for Chicago summer, because Chicago is the best summertime city on the planet. I love it, man. And you would pick Scottsdale because the White Sox are there? Oh, I just love Scottsdale. I love the heat. So yeah, it's, uh, and it's such a change of pace. It's, you know, it's Phoenix is obviously a big metropolis, but Scottsdale's got the like suburban vibe. The bar scene's awesome. The food sucks in Scottsdale. We'll, I will say that. I lived in Scottsdale for a few months for my old job uh, when I was like 29, I want to say. Uh, so a few years ago and the food's not good. I'm used to good food in Chicago, but it's it's nice being able to go like hiking. Or, you know, go climb Camelback Mountain or, yeah. um, you know, you, you can drive to Vegas in, in four hours. I've done that a couple times. So uh, it's, it's just a nice change of pace from Chicago, uh, a little more laid back. And, and I loved it out there. Favorite place in Vegas? I when the first time I went to Vegas, I was 22. I went out there at twenty five hundred bucks and it was every cent I had to my name. And 
uh, it was 10 of us, 10 high school friends. And half of us stayed at the Hard Rock, which is no longer there. And then my group stayed at Hooters, which is also no longer there. And we stayed there because it was like 80 bucks a night. We could pack four people into it. But people started making fun of us that were like, oh, fuck you guys. We're going to stay there every time we go now. So it was a big joke that as we got older and as we were all making actual real money for the first time, we would still stay at Hooters. And it was just kind of like a tradition. Um, and we, it sucked when when they tore it down. But um, I mean, I, I love Vegas in general. Like just walking down the strip, it's got such a such an awesome vibe, and um, so I'd probably say that. Just it doesn't even matter where you stay; you can bounce around and go to any of the casinos or hotels you want. Dude, I lived at the. Now they turned it into a Waldorf story. I lived at the Mandarin Oriental in the Aria, mm-hmm. and that was the best, bro. Room service in your room, turn service, amazing. Did you did you play table games? You play table games when you come? Yeah, in? I like craps the best probably. You like craps? I'm a craps guy. Uh, if I'm looking to just really, really either go big or go home, I'll play roulette. Um, blackjack, obviously. But it's in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, you're going there to lose money. So. <laughs> blackjack, let me ask you a question. Blackjack, you're playing. Hold on one second. So, sorry, Dave. You're playing blackjack. Dealer showing 16, right? Mm-hmm. You have 16. Dealer showing 10. Face Carter 10. You hit or you stay? 16. I'd stay. You stay? You're you're hold on. Yeah. Let, me, let me make sure. Fuck. Let me make sure I said that right. Okay. So yes, you got 16. Is that how you do it? Because you're supposed to, whatever they say, obviously, when they're showing 10 and you got 16, you're supposed to hit. You're not supposed to stay. Because that's the that's theoretically. But it's either what you feel comfortable doing the whole time. Does that make sense? When so whenever I'm playing blackjack, and this is so annoying to anybody who's sitting at the table with you, I just ask the dealer, "Hey, should I hit or stay?" No, and that's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. You go by the book. They go I by the book. Book, so you can't really get mad at yourself if you lose in the book. Yeah. You know, but um, I'd say blackjack is probably what I play third most amount of. You know what I would play, bro? Next time you go out there, that that is good, man. It has the highest odds. Baccarat. That's what I've heard. I've never played it before. A lot of casinos don't even have a Baccarat table. And if you do play it or do, if they do have one, I heard they're like shoved off in the corner so no one can see it. Cause they know that's the table. It's, well, it's, no, and it's high limits. So it's very, it's very, um, very culturally. It's a fun game. It's not the, what sucks about blackjack is if you, if you hit when you're supposed to stand, you can fuck me up. Right. It fucks the table. Yeah. But in Baccarat, we all play together. So if you say player and I go bank, it ain't going to make a difference. And, dude, Baccarat is so much fun because of that. And it's really it's really cool, man. Jordan, so the first time I ever played golf, there's a golf course out there called Shadow Creek. Have you heard of Shadow Creek? Yeah, I've heard of it. Mm-hmm. That's where Phil Nicholson did the, the first Tiger Woods thing. Yeah, the yeah. First time they played. That's Steve Wynn's old house. When Steve Wynn sold his properties to MGM – Part of the deal was that Shadow Creek would go over to MGM. And my first time ever playing golf was in a foursome with Jordan because he was boys with a, and I think my boy left. My boy was president of international gaming for MGM resorts. He was a beast and he was a scratch golfer and he connected with Mike because of that. And these guys were playing 40, 50 G's a hole every time. And MJ's huge playing a, 
blackjack loves blackjack man he plays the we call the watermelon chips which is a uh, 25g's a hand and that's what he would do but man there's nothing like vegas bro vegas has just that vibe and it's yearly there's always something going on in vegas that people don't understand now you got a vegas area code you're in Miami. You lived in Vegas. Uh, what's the vibe like with Corona out there right now? In Miami? No, in in Vegas. So I'm. I don't live in Vegas anymore. I'm. Right. I was born in Cuba. Mm-hmm. I was raised in. I was a year or so in Spain. Then I moved here to Miami. I left after my baseball. I'm the biggest failure, Dave, in the history of Miami baseball by far. By far. After baseball, I moved to Los Angeles. J-Lo had a TV show that I got casted on, and I lived in a car for six months. I didn't know a single person. I slept in the Hollywood Hills, and I thought I was going to be an actor. I thought I was going to be a big-time actor. And, bro, I became, ironically, the sport that ruined my life was baseball. My dad used to beat the shit out of me because of baseball. I, was, I would fail, and he would fuck me up big time in front of everybody was baseball. And a famous professor there that created the Groundlings that followed what Second City started, which was an improvisational theater. Yeah. He, I go to his class, and this guy's wearing, guy's name's Gary Austin. He's wearing a retro Astros jacket. And I was like, oh, I got this guy. And we became boys. He's really famous. And I slept at his house. He offered me his house with his wife with these four Eskimo dogs. The house was a disaster, bro. But I learned acting, and I learned stuff. But I learned, I became a celebrity baseball coach. I really, I became like the kid whisperer. I learned how to work with kids and celebrities and kids and letting celebrities know listen man it doesn't matter who you are these kids don't know that you got to show up like very like old school stuff but connecting very very well with kids but after six years of failing in los angeles i go man i'm not acting is not for me i don't have the passion for it i just it wasn't my thing so that's when i moved to los angeles in 2011 and i lived there for four years i moved out through four years ago Back to Miami to marry the love of my life here in Miami. And that's when I became Coach HP. So in Miami, where we tend to fuck everything up, Dave, because we're backwards on everything. And you give us a you give us an inch and we go ham, brother. We go ham. We're playing it by ear, bro. We have to wear masks. It goes down. It goes up. It goes down. The summer was hard because of the beaches and the drinking. And that's when it got fucked up big time. The numbers went up again. So now we're seeing a slight spike from what I hear. When you go out, you do wear, have to wear the mask. But it's weird because you got to wear a mask. But if you're running in a park, you don't wear a mask. And then the the bars, they just opened up. the They haven't the nightclubs yet, but the restaurants they have and stuff like that. So I think it's like everybody, man, just adjusting, you know? Yeah. I think and, that's what I think. I mean, my whole thing with this is, is we all got to get on the same page. Like as as a country, like so Chicago, you can get to Wisconsin in an hour from from Chicago, and you can get to Indiana in like 20, 25 minutes from Chicago. So a lot of and this just doesn't even stick to Corona. This sticks to a lot of things, like guns especially. Like you can get a gun really easily in Indiana. So everybody talks about Chirac and everything and all those guns are coming from Indiana because of how easy it is to get a gun in Indiana. You just need to drive 20, 25 minutes south, you know, and, and you can have a gun tomorrow if you want one. Uh, same thing with coronavirus. Like Indiana never really shut down. 
So all these people from Chicago are going to Northwest Indiana, which is basically a suburb of the city. Uh, you could get, you know, it's an Uber drive away. And all these people in Indiana are, are going to Indiana and bringing it back to the city. And then you see our numbers explode. So yeah. I, I just wish like the whole country would get on the same page. And, you know, and I'm not saying, I don't know, I have no idea how to fight this virus. I'm saying that you can't like, Either everybody fucking goes all in or nobody goes goes in at all. You know, there are all this middle ground driving me crazy. Like we we opened up bars to 40 percent capacity about a month back. And now as of actually tonight's last night, starting tomorrow, no, no indoor dining at all again. And that's oh. I know it's killing. Like I have a ton of friends in the service industry and they're hanging on by a thread right now. Because because of this shit and and I feel awful for them because th- this is their livelihoods, you know, this is their livelihood. So like we we have to figure out either a way to coexist with the virus because it's not going anywhere, not until there's a vaccine and who knows how long that's going to be, or um, a way to like either that or just shut down everything. Like for I'm talking everything for a couple of weeks, everybody stays the fuck inside, nobody leaves, and. Like March again, right? That was what we did in March, right? We did in March, but like even then, you could. It's not like you had to stay inside. You could walk around outside and go to gas stations and shit. I'm saying shut down everything. But I don't know. I'm just some idiot on the internet. No, no, I get it, dude. I I think I got it when in February 21st I was in New York to 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 go see Gary V. You know Gary V? Maybe. Yeah, he's just a popular dude. There, I went to go see him, and then I went to go speak. At New Jersey at US Elite there. And I must have shaken hands. I thought I was a celebrity, but I must have shaken hands to a hundred kids, a thousand parents. I'm high-fiving everybody, whatever. And when I got back, dude, I had the worst fever cough. I was coughing, my legs were shaking while I was lying down. It was just crazy. And nobody knew it. Corona thing hadn't hadn't even become popular yet. So man, I understand everything you're talking about, Dave. I understand everything you're talking about, bro. Dave, I think, man, you're I'm excited to see what you're going to do, man, in the future. I think you're in a in a good spot to really put a good dent in what uh, Chicago sports is, what if it's going to become, you know. Uh, I think everything happens for a reason. And I'm really proud of the of the work that you've done from what I've seen and how you apply yourself and how you do your best to get better, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. And this was... I do a lot of podcasts and it's usually just all the same cookie cutter bullshit. This was a great conversation, I thought, and I enjoyed every minute of it. And yeah. thanks for having me on. And I would love to do more shit in the future, you know? Hell yeah, bro. Before uh, before I let you go, any question for me, man? Anything I can help you with? Um, Do you, you write at all or no? Because I feel like you have books out there somewhere that I need to get my hands on. Okay. What type of books? Like, what what are you thinking? Any, anything. Anything Thank- at all. Or if you have recommendations, I would love to hear. Baseball or life books? Anything. Doesn't matter. Okay. The one book everybody should get. And you know, they say that Arnold Schwarzenegger was one of the few people that genetically was built, was born to be a bodybuilder and just happened to be a bodybuilder. That's Mm -hmm. why that physique became awesome. I suffer from extreme positivity. That's my problem. And there's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. 
And what it talks about is Charles Schwab. Charles Schwab was hired by what's this guy's name? Man? Hold on, we got to get this. The the steel baron that had a, oh, uh, Rockefeller. No, the other one. Vanderbilt. Other one. Uh lot of money, bro. They were in the billions today. Uh, what is it? Fuck, this is gonna bug me. Uh there's Cornelius Vanderbilt, Andrew Rockefeller. Um there let's look this shit up. Hold on, bro. That's why we got the internet. Hold on. Uh, we'll, we'll I, know it as soon as we hear it. Hold on. What should we Google? What rich? White Sox just hired Tony Larusa. Oh yeah, yeah. What do you, that's that's a, that's a good thing. What do you think about that? I was gonna, um, I was going to say this earlier. So like, I think that so he had an anti kneeling comment um, that he backed up in February. Uh, this came out in 2017. He had quotes saying like, "You're you're not if you were playing for me, you would not be allowed to kneel," and he he said the same thing a handful of months back. Obviously, Tim Anderson's the leader of the White Sox. Emotionally, he's an awesome fucking baseball player. He is a great, great, great leader off the field. Like, he does so much for the community. I love the guy to death. Absolutely would go to war for Tim Anderson. Um, I don't know how that's going to vibe, but I'm of the opinion that Tim Anderson's a professional. Tony LaRusse is a professional. They can absolutely coexist in spite of having differing opinions. So, like, people automatically assume that this is not going to work because he, like, they, like, why, why can't it work? Like, these are two smart people. Why can't they coexist just because they have a different opinion? Like, I think this could potentially breed really good conversation. I totally agree. And also what happens is you forget, look, you have the teams pretty much minorities. So okay. in the new school of way, the, the only problem with bringing in a La Russa is the games change so much, man. And you, a Dusty Baker can do it. Because Dusty Baker's always been, you know, that guy, and he's very chill. But you can't make that statement in this day because you'll lose. They'll fire him before the team starts. So I'm sure that everybody's going to work together, especially since you guys had the Chris Sale problem and that kind of bullshit to have. Because you guys can go on a serious run right now, bro. Serious run, right. I don't know where you guys can have a serious run. I'm supposed to have on – I'm very good friends with – uh. I had a talk with him yesterday with Obreu's agent. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna have him on. We're waiting to see if he wins the MVP or not. But uh I think he should. I think he should. But I think that is huge in today's baseball. Dude, the guy's name's Andrew Carnegie. So Andrew Carnegie, yeah. Okay, so we got it. So check this out. How to win friends and influence people. Dave, Andrew Carnegie in 1982 hires Charles Schwab to be the CEO and run his company. They do steel. 
They manufacture steel. Charles Schwab got paid the yearly salary there when the average American was making like $20,000 if they were lucky. Charles Schwab was making a million dollars a year. Okay? Mm -hmm. They interviewed him and they go, man, you must know a ton about steel. He goes, I don't know anything about steel. I know people. That book teaches you how to win people over, how to talk about what people like to talk about, not what you like to talk about. It shows you that when there's a picture, me and you, we take a picture right now. The first person Dave's going to look at is White Sox Dave. That's everybody. Everybody's used to looking at themselves. That book, I, I will get that. I'll text it to you so you have it. You're going to like it. And then that baseball one, you're going to like a lot too. That 2% one, you're going to like a lot. Yeah, text me both of those and I'll, I'll, I'll do I'm going to send you that. Well, before we go, you want to plug anything? Uh, Yeah, I mean, for, to all the listeners, it's very sports-centric or Chicago-centric, I should say, but Redline Radio is our, our bi-weekly podcast. Um, I would say if you're looking for uh, just a complete escape from normal life, listen to the Chicago Dog Walk. Uh, we interview literally anybody. We interview garbage men, uh, mailmen, uh, Burger King workers, and there are a lot of really funny characters in the world that obviously no one knows exist because they have just single most mundane jobs possible, but they're hilarious interviews. They're only like 15, 20 minutes long. It's a quick hitter uh, once a day podcast. And then Sirius, our Sirius radio show uh, on Sirius 85, channel 85, is 2 to 3 p.m. Central Time every every single day. Um, not right now because I have fucking coronavirus, but um, that'll start up again in the next week or two. And that's just us talking about literally anything, pop culture, music, sports. It could be anything. And that's, you know, meant for a national audience. It's real laid back. It's real funny. People love it. So, Boom, there it is. My man, White Sox Dave, I can't thank him enough. I can't thank you guys enough for the support. Please, again, subscribe. Leave me a comment. Give us a rating. We love you. Remember, forever, keep going hard and do your thing. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 